views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Vasily. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. Now here's your host, Dr. Pat. Hey, everybody. It's so great to be connecting with all of you. Wow. Thank you so much for tuning in and turning us on. I want to just say to everybody before I start talking to uh, the most amazing Susan Green here in a minute, I want to thank you. I I want to say this. We have heard you. And what I want to say about that is what we have heard is that you want to ensure for us that we keep positive, holistic, uplifting, transformative talk radio on the air. And so fasten your seatbelts. Here in about two weeks or so, you're going to start to see a campaign that we're launching to raise funds to take back talk radio, to give back talk radio. For those of you that are listening, you know and I know that shows like this and other shows that are out there to educate, inform, and inspire people um, really are part of a venue of what I like to call freeware. But for many of us, you know, the rising costs of airtime, and we're very grateful for WBLQ to be doing what it does in our partnership with them. They are really an anomaly. They are a shining star in a universe of some very, very, very challenging opportunities for hosts like myself and others to take their message out. But we have a solution, and we're going to be asking for your help. Why? Because shows like today are so important to the landscape of health, wellness, information. Today's show especially. This show today, (laughs) to me, (laughs) pinpoints why we are so committed to keeping shows like this on the air. Susan Green is joining me here today. I want to just tell you what today's show's title is. You know, it's how how you can help your doctor and what your doctor needs to know with Susan Green joining me here today. We're going to be talking about many, many things. We're going to have a brief overview of a recent conference, but we're also going to be talking about why is this level of information, even today, more important than it ever has been. Susan is somebody that has been out in the world. She has been somebody in the forefront of making sure not only are we aware of what's happening in the Lyme disease arena. But most importantly is how can we show up educated, informed, know the right questions to ask, and and most importantly, be able to represent things in both a legal matter and a personal matter in the world so that we even understand what the questions are that we should ask. She and I were joking a little bit before the show, and you're going to get to hear a little bit about why. But whether you know her 
as somebody that is in this incredible law arena, litigating, helping, helping all of us understand the importance of having laws that protect us, or if you know her as somebody that has been out there fighting the good fight with the rest of us, she is both all of the above and most importantly, is speaking out more now than ever. We both are. Susan, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And what a, what a, a, a overwhelming uh, introduction. I hope I live up to it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Uh, you know, part of the conversation, you know, I think is going to begin with just giving us a little, let's start with a background about some of the current trends, if we could, that okay. are affecting Lyme patients. And, you know, it's really kind of interesting. You and I were talking uh, before the show that I know that we are still in the minority around talking with people, doctors, patients about Lyme even existing. So today having a show that says how you can help your doctor and what your doctor needs to know is so important just in the fact of what are the questions we should ask. I want to start off with this and then please give us an update. Okay. I want to start off with this. I said to a, fr- a friend of mine, you know, whose doctor said, doctor was a, chiro- uh, uh, a cardiologist, said, I want you to get a Lyme test. So my friend goes back and says, I was told to get a Lyme test from this lab. And this is the test that, that we should get. The doctor says, I don't even know what that test is. But at least the doctor knew to ask for a Lyme test. You know, People, Susan, don't know what to say when that conversation happens. I don't even, when the doctor says, I don't even know what that test is. I don't know what this is. You know, so let's talk about what have you discovered? Where are we going with doctor's awareness and doctor self-protection? Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a compound question because there's yeah. a, a number of areas I want to go into uh, in response to that question. First, I want to tell you, where are we today with regard to uh, the raising of awareness and educating uh, the mainstream medicine providers regarding Lyme disease? And what I will tell you is we are backwards, I think, from where we started. I, I, yeah. Every time I learn of something new, I wind up shaking my head in disbelief because it's so hard to understand and it's so hard to explain But I want to start by making you aware of um, an interesting movement or a not-so-interesting movement, depending what side of the issue you're on. This year, Christina Nelson from the CDC did an article for Medscape, Medscape being a um, a widely uh, distributed publication to physicians, mainstream doctors. And in her article... Uh, Christine Nelson, or Christina Nelson, I'm not sure which it is, she uh, advised physicians that we are over-testing for Lyme disease in the United States because only 12% of the tests that are, are administered are coming back positive. Nowhere in this article did she mention to all of these doctors who read this article the fact that the test today is so woefully inadequate that over 60% of the time it is a false negative. And so if you take this over 60% of the time and add it to the 12, let's make it an even 60 just for the math's sake, you have 
more like 72% of the population being affected. Unfortunately, 60% of them aren't, aren't going to come back positive in early testing because they haven't had a chance to produce antibodies. Um, that's one problem. Another problem is the assays, that the tests that are administered, uh, it's an antibody test. And unfortunately, they're not very sensitive, these tests. So if you have a species of Borrelia burgdorferi or of Lyme bacteria that's not represented in the assay, in the, um, the test, you're not going to test positive for it. We have a study out of John Hopkins, Dr. John Alcott, uh, with the SLICE study, um, recently confirmed that not only is the test false negative over 60% of the time, but in addition to that, women's antibodies are going to respond differently than men's antibodies. And more men will test positive than women. A lot of times women who were enrolled in his study never tested positive at all, even though they presented early on with a with a bullseye rash and a prima facie case of Lyme disease. So it was, for me, very disturbing to see an article come out of, you know, CDC stating that the actual positive tests in the United States are very low, 12%. So you're a mainstream doctor. Maybe you're a new practitioner. Maybe you live in an area that you still are operating under the myth that there's no Lyme in your territory. You read this. And what is it going to tell you? It's going to tell you you don't need to test, okay? Now, just in case you didn't read that Medscape article because you were so busy, I'm going to tell you about something that's even scarier. And that would be the organization called ABIM Foundation. God, I hope they're not a sponsor of yours. I doubt it. But at any rate, <laughs> they have started an initiative, and their initiative is called Choosing Wisely. So in 2012, the ABIM Foundation launched Choosing Wisely, and the goal was to advance, quote-unquote, a national dialogue on avoiding wasteful or unnecessary medical test treatments or procedures. And so what they claim they have done is they have conversations, they're trying to um, encourage conversations between providers and patients and they are they have ESA providers, um, more than seventy specialty society partners, okay. What are the tests or the um, procedures that you think are being overutilized in your particular area? And so when asking the infectious disease doctors, what do you think they said? Lyme disease tests. <laughs> oh, okay, right at the over- top. Now in one hospital located in, in Maryland, okay, this organization, Choosing Wisely, has posted lit-up signs in the waiting areas of physicians' offices in a medical building. And the, the signs say, I have photographs of it, it says, um, Lyme test, you probably don't need one. So what of the poor person who comes there because, you know, through some fluke or through, you know, through all the patients who've been raising their voices and being interviewed and telling their stories, what if the person sitting in the waiting room going, gosh, I wonder if I have Lyme disease? Do you think they might be intimidated to ask their doctor when they're sitting there being told by this sign, Lyme test, you probably don't need one? And here is an organization that's undertaking to advise a patient without doing, uh, taking a history, without doing any kind of examination, without doing any kind of clin- clinical uh, examination. How do you tell a person sitting in a waiting room that they should 
rule out or not consider being tested for Lyme disease when the CDC is saying, oh my gosh, we've been underestimating these numbers for years. It's really 10 times the problem we thought it was. And in reality, we all know that that's probably, <laughs> that's probably minuscule compared to the real problem. I love what you're talking about. I, I, I have to say this because for those of you out there, you're going to really have a chuckle about this because if you decide you're going to go look at these, the website that we're referring to or go check on these folks, you know, let me say something. Are you ready? This is the advice you get from this website, right? Fasten your seatbelts, folks. How can you avoid Lyme disease? Okay, are you ready for it? Wait for it. Wait for it. Here we go. Stay away from ticks. Wow. Genius. Absolutely. Susan, <laughs> oh my gosh, can you believe it? What a breakthrough in <laughs> science we um, have today. Stay away from ticks. That's got to be an acronym for something. And right? listeners, you it's heard to be, here today stay on the Dr. Away Pat from ticks. Show. Now, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I have to take a moment on this because this is really what we're talking about today. If you go to a site that you think that is doing so, but oh, can I also please mention that if you do go to the site, what you're going to find is, I believe one of the greatest challenges to Lyme disease awareness uh, has anything to do with any conversation uh, from either the College of Rheumatology or anything to do with rheumatology. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a medical doctor. But this is really one of the most ridiculous things that we've ever heard. So, Susan, do you have a strategy for how we tell our children, right, unless you live in the Bronx on the cement, how we tell our children, okay, I want you to stay away from ticks? Hmm. Well, first of all, I wouldn't trust the cement either. Yeah, right. <laughs> my that last bite came off the sidewalk, so I wouldn't <laughs> trust the cement either. But, um well, you know, obviously there's the, the standard warnings that we, we warn parents of. And, and mm -hmm. you know, in a second, I'll, I'll, I want to circle mm -hmm. back around and talk about an yeah. article that we both recently yeah. saw about oh. um, that was yeah. addressed to parents. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously the, the recommendations are that, uh, you know, kids are kids and they're, they're going to be outside. And I think probably one of the most horrific scenes I ever saw unfold in front of me was when when uh, I wrote the Virginia Bill and NatCap Lyme got involved with Monty um, Skull, my dear friend mm -hmm. and, and fellow advocate. Uh, when they, NatCap came in, we perfected the bill. We went, we lobbied, we, uh, we got that bill through in Virginia. Now it's been passed in a number of different states. And for those of you who haven't, you know, uh, who aren't absolutely mortified that I'm about to tell you what it is again. It basically requires doctors to tell patients that the test is, is uh, inadequate and that it's faulty and that if they test negative, it doesn't mean they don't have the disease. Right. So here we are with the governor at the table. He's signing the, the bill. One of the probably, you know, most one of the proudest moments of my life. And there's a little boy. They had the Boy Scouts sitting in the grass in front of the table. There's a little boy sitting there, and he's got a piece of material and I'm watching him, and I'm looking at him, and he keeps rubbing the material back and forth across the grass. And I'm thinking to myself, and the kid couldn't have been more than 10. I'm thinking, you know, if I didn't know better, I would think that kid's doing a tick drag. And I see him hold the, the material up, and I see his face light up an exclamation. 
And he now, as the governor's speaking to the crowd and they're filming, this kid duck walks across the grass and shows his mother. And from where I'm standing, I can see at least 10 little tiny spots on this this piece of material. Mm-hmm. So as we're sitting there talking about about uh, the fact that the test is, is inaccurate, and as we're signing this, this historic bill into, into law, here's this kid doing a tick drag. We've got a bunch of Boy Scouts sitting in the grass, and it, the grass is crawling with ticks. So we're reminded, of course, that the recommendations are, number one, uh, children should wear long pants. Their, their pants should be tucked into their socks. Uh, they should wear material that is light-colored and the kind of material that's kind of silky or satiny so that the ticks can't really stick too hard. When mm-hmm. they come into the house after they've been out of doors, the clothing goes in the dryer on, on high heat. Children should go in the shower within two hours of arriving home, and they, of course, should be thoroughly washed and do a thorough tick check. Uh, obviously, you can use repellents with DEET, D-E-E-T, uh, naturopathics, uh, out there prefer uh, lemon eucalyptus. Um, there's also permethrin, uh, which you can get clothing treated with permethrin. Um, clearly, that is a, a one of the better repellents against ticks, but the question will come down the road, I suppose. At what cost? You know, what is the danger? And, oh, God, I, I hope the permethrin manufacturers aren't listening. <laughs> but I always wonder... Well, what is this stuff cause, doing to our bodies? Yeah, you know? yeah. But I yeah. guess time will tell. Well, I mean, it, it, what we're talking about is so much information that to the average person makes sense, Susan. If we really want to talk about it, you know, the average person that would pick up an article or go to the website we mentioned or take a look at the article that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, they would read it and they would feel a sigh of relief, um, especially when somebody says, you know, these blood tests uh, can be a waste of money. I mean, it, I mean, this is really a guideline, you know, that you can find on, you know, the Choose Widely, uh, Choosing Widely uh, website. And, and it doesn't say maybe it's, you know, it's like a waste of money. Right now, Susan, I have to ask you, in the scheme of things, in the people that you know, and your own journey, my journey, how much of a waste of money in the scheme of things is $230? You know, I I have to tell you that, that, you know, it it astounds me because, well, first of all, one has to go back, and I I haven't had the time to, uh, you know, I only have, I have like 10 million things on my plate at (laughs) at any given time, and one of my, some of my friends in the Lyme community call me the hummingbird because they tell me that I'm always running from project to project and flitting around like a hummingbird, but even this hummingbird gets tired sometimes. So I'm dying to know who this foundation is you know who organized this? I, I can't help but but wonder if after I dig into it, and of course I don't know, so this is mere speculation. But it occurs to me that might it be an insurance company? You know. Well, I mean, if you go to the website, you will see a banner from the American College of Rheumatology on the site, and well, we know you... the history. Uh, and this is one of the saddest moments for me when I actually talk about this. Because the world would change drastically if the rheumatologist and the Lyme doctors, even one of them, got together and could meet each other halfway. I believe miracles would start to happen. And, you know, it's almost as if we're looking at 
people on one side and the other as if we're in another country, a foreign country, and there's this dividing line. And I just wonder what people are afraid of losing in the scheme of things so that we're not even engaging in dialogue. I wonder what would happen with that. Um, and, and I think that's what you're talking about today. I think that one of the things that we're talking about is, you know, what is this idea of doctor self-protection, you know, uh, it, it le legal issues that we're not even aware of. I don't know if you know this, in the state that I live in, you know, you as a patient, you can't even, I, I mean, if you say I would like a Lyme test, you actually would have to go to the CDC to get that. Um, and most people don't even know what that is. And, and it's just kind of at the place now where you would think 10 years, 11 years later, that we would have made some progress in education information. Uh, and I think what you said before is important. What, what have you found um, it, are, are people talking about at these major conferences? What are folks, what are folks tapping into here? Well, the conference, the ILAS conference 2015 yeah. was, a, was a wonderful conference. There, was, yeah. there were a lot of very learned uh, doctors who presented, uh, researchers who presented, and uh, there was a lot to learn. Uh, we spoke, I was on the faculty, and myself, uh, Greg Skull from um, Womble Carlisle, Jacques Simon, who's an attorney, um, we all spoke about legal issues surrounding the practice of medicine. Yeah. I'm sorry, there's also Tony, and I can't think of Tony's last name. I apologize. But we were, we were speaking about some of the uh, current trends with regard to protecting Lyme literate doctors. Um, you know, the, um, the doctors who are prescribing long-term antibiotics, first of all, the good news. The good news is that ILADS this year, International Lyme Associated Disease Society, which is a society that represents a lot of physicians who are on the cutting edge of treating Lyme patients. They're the ones that are out there in the trenches. And yeah. they filed... Um, guidelines this year with the National Registry. So it's no longer only the IDSA guidelines of 28 days of antibiotics and you're cured. ILADS has also filed um, guidelines. And so there are two standard of cares that are now accepted and registered uh, with the registry. So that's great news. That's a real accomplishment. However, having said that, the mm. CDC still only has the IDSA guidelines up on their website. Uh, we have uh, repeatedly asked them to either take those down or add ILADS guidelines, and to date, that's not happened. Um, one of the problems we were talking before about when you go to the doctor and you try to get a test, um, mm -hmm. first of all, <laughs> Reporting Lyme disease, is it varies in every state. So in other words, the health department regulates what is a positive um, case of Lyme. And depending on what state you're in, the uh, requirements vary. Down south, it's very difficult to get a reported case of Lyme. And as you're indicating where you are, you can't even get the test without the permission of the CDC. It's no wonder, and I, I don't know why the CDC is surprised or, or touts the fact that there's, you know, no cases in California. And obviously they probably say none or very few cases where you are. Well, if you can't get the test, okay, or if the doctors don't know to test for it, 
it doesn't surprise me that there are no numbers. Um, I always, I, I actually recently inquired of the CDC in a conversation with one of the higher ups. I said to them, how I was told that there's no no Lyme in California, you know, so. Uh, I said, well, that's simply not true. I have many friends in California who are afflicted with Lyme disease. And they said, if you show me someone who contracted Lyme disease in California, it's a false positive. And I said, you know, it's the funniest thing about false positives. You know, I hear that thrown around a lot. Particularly, you know, you'll hear it from the likes of Paul Allwater, who believes the test is just fine with the exception of false positives. astounds me. But at any rate, um, Dr. Allwater is at uh, John Hopkins. He's the head of infectious diseases, and he seems to feel that there's a lot of, pro- of, of problems with false positives. What, what totally shocks me about the doctors who dismiss patients and tell them they've got a false positive is that I have yet to hear a patient tell me that the doctor said, it's a false positive because we don't have Lyme disease here. And I say to them, well, did they subsequently draw more blood and test you for anything else? And they they say to me, no, they didn't. So the only way you could have a false positive uh, is if your blood is reacting because you've got antibodies of another disease and that that disease is cross-reacting with the Lyme titer. So in other words... Some of the things that might light up a Lyme, but that might give a yeah. false positive would be AIDS, HIV, or mm-hmm. lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, syphilis. Right. You know, many of these things might cross-react with a Lyme titer and might give you what's called a false positive. But it would seem to me if you're a physician, you've tested for somebody for Lyme, and the test comes up positive, don't you have an obligation then to go, if you really believe it's a false positive, Go rule out those other diseases because if you're telling the patient, oh, don't worry about it, it's just a false positive, they must have something. And if it's HIV or AIDS, wouldn't you think it needs to be treated? But, you know, from what I hear from all of these patients, nobody ever gets tested. There's no further testing offered. So to me, that's really disconcerting because that means doctors are relying on geographic reporting to date to rule out you know, a test that's positive and that absolutely requires further examination. Well, I love what we're talking about, you know, because we're going to talk about a couple articles, Susan, when we come back. But yes, let me, uh, somebody just uh, ping me with a question and asking me about Washington State and now asking me about Rhode Island. Um, Here's what I will tell you about Washington State. And and folks, just let me read this because I I do not like to paraphrase this. I've got an attorney on the show with me here today. (laughs) Paraphrasing like crazy. (laughs) So paraphrasing, I'm not. Here's what we're going to say before we go to break. Um, Each year, 7 to 23 cases of Lyme disease among Washington residents are reported. Most of these people acquired the disease following tick bites that occurred in the Northeast and upper Midwest states, where Lyme disease occurs more commonly. However, there are usually a few cases, 0 to 3, in Washington annually, that result from tick bites in our state. So basically what this says is if you're in the state next to us, Idaho, right, uh, then it, it, that, and you're from Idaho, or in my case, I was born on the East Coast, it doesn't matter how long you live here, they count me as Northeast. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we've got some, Susan and I, we've got a couple of articles we want to share with you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff, this hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet, welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. Are you ready for a radical shift in your way of being? Are you seeking a more deeply connected and fulfilling life? Awakened Living Radio is a show dedicated to helping you embrace a life filled with profound peace, connection, and happiness. TJ Woodward is passionate about helping you find your clarity, balance, and purpose. Join co-host TJ Woodward and Dr. Pat Basili on the first Monday of every month at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for Awakened Living Radio on TransformationTalkRadio.com. to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, remove your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Speaker, teacher, channel, clairvoyant, Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst who channels a powerful energy from source to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into health, Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. 
Great. Thank you. Um, you know, Susan, I, I, I want to thank you for joining me here today. And, you know, what I what I really love is that, you, you know, you and I can talk, you know, today, then we can talk next week and there'll be more to talk about. This is what's interesting, right? Um, more to never talk run about. out of things. Maybe, maybe not all happy moments, but there's more to talk about. And we've got more to talk about today, don't we? We do. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit, if we, could, if we can kind of jump off, um, about an article that I came across, you came across. And when I read it, and, and, I, and I have since sent it on to Dr. Darvish, you know, who also is my co-host for this show as well. Um, and the article headlines alone was shocking enough for me. Um, that came out. And more importantly, what was shocking is this article was in Science News. And it was a magazine of the Society for Science in Public. And when I got this article and I read, I started to read it, you know, their article is five reasons to not totally panic about ticks and Lyme disease. And I thought to myself, okay, what, what do we have to say? What I read was shocking, and I know you have the same article, so I can't wait to hear your comments on it. I'm happy to. So, so this young woman, Megan Rosen, who is a transplant from California, or went to school in California, I should say, but she now lives in the uh, Washington, D.C. suburbs. Mm -hmm. I believe, I read somewhere that she lives in Montgomery County, which I mm -hmm. found fascinating. But the first thing she, she basically says is that she found a tick on her child. And so she called a number of different people, um, none of whom were in her, that were, they weren't local to where she is located. Um, but the first thing she was told is not all ticks carry Lyme disease. That's a fact. Not all ticks carry Lyme disease. However, she went on to say that the... Um, the tick has to be attached 36 to 48 hours before it starts to infect the host. Yeah. And that's not true. From everything I know, it's 24 hours. So that would be disconcerting to me from Jump Street. But And besides that, how do you really know how long the tick's been attached? <laughs> so that always makes me nervous. I mean, ticks don't wear watches, and I always wonder if they you know, travel through different time zones. I, I don't trust that, but they say 24 hours. Um, the second thing that she went on to say is there's no need to get the tick tested for diseases. I so disagree with that statement, and here's why. She consulted with a Dr. Sood. Dr. Sood is um, a doctor who I believe is in the Northeast somewhere, but she said that they said you want to keep the tick so you can show it to your doctor so the doctor can determine what kind of tick it is and so that they know what to look for. So, I don't know, you can really, you can take a picture of the tick. And there's a lot of laboratories. If you get the book, The Lyme Disease Solution by Dr. Kenneth Singleton, mm -hmm. there are a list of resources in the back of that book, some of which include labs that will test the tick for, some for free, some for a charge. She was upset because it was a $50 charge in Massachusetts. Um, you know, What's interesting about the article is this woman who lives in Montgomery uh, County, Maryland, there is a laboratory called Klonjin Labs, Dr. Kalani, Ahmed Kalani. Dr. Kalani is one of the finest doctors in the country, and he runs an amazingly good laboratory. The government uses him for different tests. He's a really, really fine physician, and he runs a great lab. Dr. Kalani 
there was an article in a uh, newspaper from 2014 where he did a tick drag in Montgomery County, right in her neighborhood, okay? And that tick drag disclosed, they did capture, I believe, something like, I think he got 45 ticks. And of those 45 ticks, he said that, interestingly, none of those ticks had um, Lyme. 25% of the ticks tested positive for Borrelia lone starry, okay? And... Mm -hmm. 50% of those ticks tested positive for Babesia. Mm. So in other words, there is, it's shocking, but half of the ticks that were collected in the area where she resides had Babesia. So why you would want to send that to a laboratory outside of the area where you're located that's familiar with those ticks, I don't know. But I certainly hope that in addition for Lyme disease, I hope that that tick was tested for Babesia because that's a, a, a tick-borne illness where microscopic parasites infect red blood cells, and the, the symptoms are very similar to Lyme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's very disturbing um, to, you know, most of the ticks that were collected in the area where he did his tick drag, they were lone, yeah. of the Lone Star species, okay? Um, so I would have wanted to go to a more local source, Uh, She goes on to recite in the article that um, less than 50%, that uh, that most of the children, 90% of children who contract Lyme disease are going to have a bullseye rash. That's just not so. Um, I believe, I don't know specifically for children, but I do know that uh, in the general population, I've heard different numbers. Uh, recent uh, health department numbers out of Maryland said 70%. I've heard 50%. Less than 50% of the population will get a rash. And again, that's going to go back to being dependent upon the species of the, the bacteria that you contract. And so I would not be looking for a bullseye rash and relying on that because that's not necessarily going to happen. Um, then they, she put out the old, you know, myth about Lyme disease is generally easy to treat. So, you know, there's that ancient myth, hard to catch, easy to cure, 28 days and you're all better. Well, we know that's not true and it's pretty easy to catch these days. The numbers, as I indicated earlier, were, have been, uh, were underestimated tenfold, at least according to the CDC. And since they're not bothering to test in so many states because they don't even believe they have a problem, imagine if the doctors were educated and knew to test what the numbers might really look like. Um, as far as easy to, to treat, well, that depends. That depends on a host of things. What did you get with it? What parasites? What co-infections? Uh, what's your immune system like? Do you have any uh, immunocompromise when you contract the disease? And, you know, what cocktail of disease did you get? And so there's been uh, recent research coming out of John Hopkins that indicates that uh, the bacteria can persist past uh, uh, treatment with antibiotics. So this article is really very antiquated. And it's quite surprising because this young woman is a, who's the author of this article, she seems to be a scientist of, of some pedigree. She's written yeah. a lot of articles. And mm-hmm. um, to write this article is so misleading, but I hearken back to this, it's the same kind of propaganda that came out of the CDC with that 
with Christina Nelson's article or with right. the um, Choose Wisely program, need a uh, Lyme test, you probably don't. It's really scary because the misinformation that's being um, circulated about this disease is going to kill people. Yeah, I think that's the point that we're not talking about for a minute. You know, rarely will you see on any government websites, uh, anything out there, rarely will you see that this is something that kills people. Maybe that's scary to say, Susan. Maybe that's a scary thing to say. But you and I know, I know for myself uh, in the past 10 years, I have watched so many people not make it so many people and you know now we're reading headlines 19 month old baby you know found dead and what did they find i mean it is it is something that if we paid a little bit of attention to and we recognize the full scope of possibilities to care for people we could really make a difference here really make a difference um you know, for many people that are listening and they're reading an article like that, or you're going to various websites, or you went to the website in your own state, um, almost all of these government websites have a CDC comment on them. Some places don't. But for the most part, you know, people are not willing to really come out and talk about this. Um, if you go on and look about this, people say there are a few good ways to prevent tick bites. Now, I don't know about, you know, the folks on the East Coast, but I live in a climate and especially in the greater Seattle area and even parts of Washington state, it doesn't actually freeze here to any great extent, you see. And there are a lot of factors that, you know, we, we look at and we deal with. What, what would you say, Susan, is the most important thing to share with people based on ILADS, based on, you know, the law and based on the work that you're doing, what, what's the most important thing to say to people as they read through mounds of information? Well, boy, that's a slippery slope. Um, <laughs> you know, people call me all the time and they've just, either their child or they have just been diagnosed and they're at a loss or somebody told them they should call me because they've got an imperfect, they're, imperfect case of MS, ALS, Parkinson's. Oh. Anytime I hear, especially out of Hopkins, anytime I hear that the person's got an imperfect case of, I always roll my eyes and go, it's a Lyme disease because, you know, oftentimes when doctors get frustrated and can't really come up with a diagnosis, okay, you, you wind up with an imperfect case of something. Um, and these doctors aren't testing for Lyme disease, and it's very disconcerting. So, you know, um, I wish, I guess it's my dream, that someday uh, there will be a more balanced treatment of educating mainstream medicine about diagnosing and treating Lyme and the co-infections. Recently, I had a woman from Montgomery County who gardens regularly and who um, had all the symptoms of Babesia, and I told her to go get tested, and she went to three doctors in Montgomery County asking to be tested for it and was told it's a third-world country disease, and even if she had it, they wouldn't know how to treat it. And here's the Red Cross saying our, our blood banks are tainted with Babesia, and here's doctors that don't even know what it is. 
uh, much less how to treat it. So I worry. You know, you spoke about the baby, the 19-month-old. I assume you're talking about the one that died of Lone Star um, mm-hmm. disease. And that baby didn't have to die. Mm-hmm. That, that child did not mm-hmm. have to die. Um, it is, you know, I think that having said that, you know, I also have people that tell me, I was on the, the Internet and I read, and oh, my God, they start screwing, <laughs> you know, every, you know. Because there's, on the other side of the issue, there are patients who are disseminating information that isn't always accurate. And I guess one of the things I spoke about at ILADS to, uh, to the physicians, you know, the physicians, when they come under the scrutiny of the medical boards, often confide in their patients and say, you know, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm under investigation. And oftentimes from there, the, you know, the smoke signals that go up from there, the story, it's like that old game of telephone. By the time you see it on Facebook, you know, 47 posts later, it's a completely different investigation than anything that was ever contemplated by a medical board. So I would tell, you know, tell people you've got to be careful what you read on the internet. Well-meaning people will tell you about um, different types of cures, different types of treatment protocols. I shudder every time a patient posts their protocol on the internet because Remember that if your physician is worth anything, your physician is taking a history from you. You have certain comorbidities, certain considerations that the next patient won't have, and hopefully your doctor has tailored your treatment protocol to your specific circumstances. When you go and you post your protocol on the, you know, on Facebook or on the different social media sites, I know you're well-meaning, maybe you'd want to complain yeah. about the the arduous uh, protocol that you've been prescribed. Maybe you want to tell your friends what you've been prescribed. But, you know, somewhere out there's a person who's really, really sick and desperate who can't afford to see Dr. X. And they may very well look at that protocol and think, if I could just get this, okay, yeah. this is the magic elixir. And that person may have, you know, specific health considerations, that uh, say an allergy or who knows what that could cause them to be seriously harmed by mm. you know by the posting of that protocol. So uh, I always try to 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 temper people who call me and say I was on you know and they tell me about all the different medical sites they were on and what they've read and there are, there are so many horror stories. Mm. You know, stick to good literature. Okay, number one, you know, Lyme disease solution. I call that my Bible. Ken Singleton, great book. You know, just in plain simple English. Um, Cure Unknown, Pam Weintraub, you know, uh, Dr. Horowitz's book. Uh, These are all great resources for uh, learning about Lyme, the co-infections, learning about the disease. Start there. Educate yourself. And don't – everybody's looking for – there's no silver bullet. Everybody's looking for a magic fix, okay? In everybody, what works or doesn't work is going to be different. And – I would just tell people be very careful about people that are selling products or, you know, magic fixes because, you know, they don't, you know, they're they're not all always cracked up with, you know, to be what they're purported to be. Yeah. You know, Dr. Darvish said it really beautifully once to me uh, and has said it on the show. You know, one of the things Dr. Darvish has said is, you know, this is not really a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. You know, the human body is quite complex. Uh, and now we're dealing with a disease that is also quite complex, uh, and the co-infections as well. 
And, you, you know, what I love about it is the idea that you have to look at every individual circumstance differently Correct. in terms of what's going on, what needs to be, what is the most important thing on a patient's list that should be paid attention to first? And, you know, Susan, it's not always going to be the same thing. Correct. It's not going to be the same thing. You know, maybe for some people it's a detox. Maybe for some people it's not because they're just not able to do that. Um, and I love what you just shared because you're right. Just because you see it posted somewhere, it doesn't mean that it's going to be right for you as an individual. Correct. Um, you can you can really do some harm. First of all, you're exposing okay. your doctor because and you're you know you're actually I've started developing a uh, waiver for my clients that are physicians, uh, so that you agree not to go on social media and post anything about your medical care and treatment. <laughs> now, number one, it protects protects your doctor because your doctor doesn't want you out there you know encouraging people to take the medications that have been prescribed directly for you. Number one. Number two. You really your information about your care and treatment doesn't need to be scrutinized by agencies that might be adverse to that you know type of care and treatment. But equally as important is if you're putting out your protocol on social media, you may be negating your HIPAA rights, your right to privacy. And so those are things that should really be you know carefully thought through. Um, I, I Caution people, you know, it's it's always great to try to encourage a friend to, you know, if you have somebody you believe in or something that's worked for you, it's great to share that, okay? But I would just be really cautious about um, generally sharing intimate details about your protocol because yeah. it's bad for yeah. everybody. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that's most important about what we're talking about is the mindfulness that we have to other people that are reading and watching. I know that, you know, folks have the best of intentions, really. Correct. In doing this. Um, they're not, you know, folks don't come from a place of harm, but you just don't know what's going to happen with that. I know that over the past 10 years, I've made sure that I had to be really careful about it. So if I talk about, you know, ozone therapy and what that means to me, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the same for everybody or that that should be something that just, you know, everybody run out and figure out how to get that done. Um, so, you know, this is really today is about a conversation about helping our doctors and, and helping our doctors understand some things that they may not know. Isn't that what you all are doing and coming together and, and, and partnering so that we can get some information and help people even know what the right questions are to ask, right? That's so important. And also, you know, so it's so sad, but so many patients have been so mistreated. They've you know seen multiple doctors. They've been misdiagnosed. They're now really, really sick. They're feeling a sense of hopelessness and frustration, and they're not being heard. And so now they walk into a new doctor's office, and mm -hmm. there's a there's an element of hysteria that accompanies them because they're desperate. They're like yeah. drowning victims. They're like, I've seen so many doctors, and I can't get my needs met. And so now, and then not only that, but they've had doctors roll their eyes at them. They've had doctors tell them they're crazy. They've had doctors suggest mental illness and menopause and everything else. And so, so they're by the time they get to that doctor, they're already, you know, pre-wired, somewhat hysterical. And now they go in and they're trying to get good medical advice and and, and attention. And it's almost like they're trying to prove their illness, okay? And any doctor who's receiving this 
you know, this wealth of information from this patient who's obviously very emotional, it's overwhelming to them. And they're not going to nest. And not only that, but by now you're a physician, because if you have Lyme disease, you've definitely earned your MD license (laughs) because you've had to. And so you're in there and you're talking about all kinds of things that they may or may not even know about. And you're talking about Babesia and this and that, and they're looking at you like, what? (laughs) And so, you know, you've, you've lost before you've even sat down and presented. So it's really important to have a very focused presentation. Um, one of the things I love about the Lyme Disease Solution, and look, I, I'm not touting that book for any other reason than I just really <laughs> it helped me, but there were like so many checklists in there and there were so many things that, that I was able to you know write down the questions and uh, you want to make sure you don't go in there emotional if possible. Yeah. Go in there calmly. Uh, yeah. Take somebody with you. Exactly. Uh, so exactly. that they can Bring help a friend and somebody who's knowledgeable and knowledgeable not, yes under any circumstances don't get in it with them don't argue with them because no, if they're not seeing it your way and if they're they're really unenlightened and not educated then yep. the bottom line is they're not you're not going to change them you won't educate them no one to leave no one exactly. to decide this is not my doctor yeah. Um, uh, Kenny Rogers would... says it best. You got to know when to hold them, Susan, and you got to know when to fold them. Thank right. you so much for today's show. My pleasure. Thank you it's for all that you do. Thank you for having me. Wow. Everybody, more to come. We've got a, a great lineup for you on Lime Talk Radio. My buddy, Dr. Darvish, will be joining me here as well. Uh, and for all of you out there, you know how to find out more information. Susan will be back. We're going to be doing another show. Lots of information, lots of, lots of things for all of us to learn and know and show up. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Lime Talk Radio with Dr. Pat Basili. Epic healing for an epic life. This inspiring show highlights leading-edge solutions, groundbreaking research, headline topics, and tools for holistic healing and wellness. This hit show is dedicated to raising awareness, promoting advocacy and prevention, and supporting initiatives for optimal health. Dr. Pat is passionate and focused on life-saving results reaching far beyond Lyme disease, providing a forum for powerful stories, heart-opening experiences, and hope-activated solutions. Dr. Pat will shine a light on the many shades of Lyme disease fueled by a body-mind-spirit remedy. For more information, visit LimeTalkRadio.com and tune in next time. The 